Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle John's revelation of Jesus Christ. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Please stand as we read God's Word. This morning's scripture reading is Isaiah chapter 9, and we will be reading the first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former times, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them this light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his covenant to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
morning. It is good to see you all. Perfectly appropriate scripture and prayer, appropriate songs. Oh, just a moment, let me get something. Yeah, that's right. For all of you who thought I was Scrooge, I was given this gift last week, amongst a whole lot of other goodies. And when they came in today, they said, are you going to wear them? And so, okay, fine, good, fine. So that's why God let me live this long. (laughs) Yeah. To see Jim in Christmas lights. All right. (laughs) This morning, obviously, is Christmas, and it would be impossible to ignore that fact. And so Danielle walked in this morning and said, are you going to preach a Christmas message, or are you going to continue with the book of Revelation? And the answer is a little bit of both. In fact, if I were really clever and titled my messages, I would title this particular message, The Eschatology of Christmas. I know that's a little provocative sounding, but I think you're going to understand the point of this message. As we look at the various passages from the Bible that predict the birth of Christ, they not only predict that he is coming into the world, but they also accurately predict all the things he's going to accomplish in the world, many of which have not been accomplished yet. And yet we know that they're going to be accomplished based on the fact that he actually did come to the earth. The fact that the baby in the manger exists is proof positive that the entire rest of the prophetic message concerning Jesus is also valid. It is also going to happen. If you ever read prophecies in the Bible and think, are they going to come true? Is that something I can trust? Is that really going to happen in time and history? Just ask yourself, well, did the baby in the manger actually happen in time and history? Did that actually happen the same way that the prophets foretold? And if, in fact, that did happen well, then you can conclude that all the rest of the prophecies surrounding the prophecies of his birth are also going to come true. You understand the premise? Mm -hmm. See, now suddenly the eschatology of Christmas makes more sense, doesn't it? Let's start at the beginning. No one knows the actual date of the birth of Christ. We celebrate it on December 25th, and every year around this time, there's a whole lot of debate about whether he was actually born now or sometime near January 6th or whether it was in the spring. And all of those debates are kind of meaningless because the birth date of Christ was so important to the early church that nobody mentioned it. In other words, the actual date wasn't all that important. Now, we know the date that he died. We know that he died on Passover. We know the time of year that he died. We know the day of the week that he died. 
because Christianity is all about the crucifixion of Christ. If he had been born and not died for us, then none of us have any hope. That's Paul's argument. We are all going to die in our sins and be judged before God because we would have no mediator had it not been for the fact that Christ died as our substitute. So that is very important, very vital to Christianity. But whatever day that you want to celebrate his birth is valid because the church really didn't give us a date. So we celebrate the existence of Christ every day. Jesus pre-existed his incarnation. In other words, when he came to the planet as a baby in a manger, he existed long before that. According to the Apostle John, he was there at the beginning of the creation of everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He tells us that nothing was made that wasn't made by him. It was all made by him and for him. And in that context, John also tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the actual birth of Jesus Christ is a sign and a guarantee that everything else God has ever promised us is in fact going to occur. In other words, when you leave this planet, if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you are guaranteed eternal salvation in a place where there's no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, where God is going to wipe away every tear As hard as that is for us to conceive of and believe, it is guaranteed by the fact that there was a baby in a manger. He was a baby in a manger as a down payment, as a guarantee that God was going to do everything for his people that he promised his people. So you can always look back. You can always remember. And that's the part that I do like about Christmas, that it forces the world to look back and remember whether they believe it or not, that once upon a time, Christ came to the planet. Let's start in Isaiah 7 this morning. Isaiah 7, we're going to read the first 17 verses. Because it is predictive of Christ, but in and around that prediction are a whole lot of other predictions and prophecies. And if we see in time and history that Christ actually did come, then we have to conclude that the entire rest of this prophetic message is true and valid, and we can count on it. It's the very word of God. Chapter 7, verse 1, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, went up to war to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but they could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, in other words, to the king of Judah, saying, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, 
Go now and meet Ahaz, you and your son. Meet him at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field and say to him, take care, be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Ramaliah. Because Aram, with Ephraim, the son of Ramaliah, has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabiel as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Now within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, so that it is no longer a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you do not believe, you surely will not last. Okay, why did I pick that as the opening text on a Christmas morning? Well, because a prophecy is being made here to the king of Judah who is concerned because the king of the upper nations, the king of Israel, has joined together with the Arameans in order to make war against Judah. And then God sends his prophet to the king of Judah to declare to him, don't worry, don't be scared, you're going to be okay. In fact, these two kings that are coming against you are nothing more than smoldering firebrands. I'm going to burn them out. And then he even puts a time frame on it and says within 65 years, Ephraim's going to be shattered. You know what? That happened. Ephraim, the northern tribes, went into the Assyrian captivity. That actually happened. Can you find an Aramean today? Go out and find me an Aramean. I mean, God took care of that. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. In other words, ask anything you want and God will do it for you as a guarantee, as a sign, as a proof that God is in control of human history and is going to protect his people and is going to conquer your enemies for you. You can ask for anything. And Ahaz said, I will not ask. Big mistake. God just said, ask for anything. Ahaz, I think trying to be humble, says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Then he said, this is his prophet speaking, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will now try the patience of my God as well? Well, God is determined to present a sign anyway. And here's the sign he's going to give. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. See, the baby in the manger was a sign. The baby in a manger was an indication from God that he's going to accomplish everything he ever promises his people. And it's a sign from God on purpose. 
even when he said to King Ahaz, ask for anything, and Ahaz said, I'm not going to put you to the test, he said, well, then I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you the baby in the manger. I'm going to give you a child whose name is God with us. He's going to eat milk and honey. He will eat curds and honey at the time that he knows enough to refuse evil and to choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, in other words, while he's still a very, very young child, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. That actually happened in human history. By the time Jesus, the baby in the manger, got on the planet, the northern tribes had already been scattered by the king of Assyria, and the Arameans had been wiped out. So, did God keep his word? Yeah, absolutely. And what did he use as the sign? The baby in the manger. manger. Why is she the only one who knew the answer? (laughs) She puts you all to shame. Out of the mouth of babes. In Micah 5, 2, you don't need to turn there. We're just going to look at a couple verses real quickly. We know this prophecy the prophecy of where Jesus is going to be born. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be king over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. There's so much in that little verse. Not only does Micah predict where the Christ child is going to be born, where he's going to be for that one night, a baby in a manger, but also that he's going to be king over the collective tribes of Israel. When he came to the planet, did he do that? No, he didn't. But is he going to? The answer is obviously yes, because it's based on, was he ever a baby in a manger? And because he was a baby in a manger, we have full confidence that he is also going to be king over the collective 12 tribes. And then Micah closes it by saying his origins, his starting place is not baby in a manger. His starting place is before the foundations of the world. The language he uses is his origins are from old, from ancient times, meaning the baby in a manger was a really, really, really long-lasting, very old, very ancient being. So a whole lot more than just random baby in a manger. In the book of Numbers, you know the story of Balaam. Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star... That word can also be a prince. Will come out of Jacob. Who's Jacob? Israel. Israel. A star, a prince will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise. Kingship will rise out of Israel. Okay, has that happened yet? No. No. Does it have to happen? Yes. Yeah, it has to happen based on the fact that a prince did, in fact, come out of Jacob. 
the baby in the manger, is a guarantee of the entire rest of that prophecy. Are you understanding my premise here? Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1. If you want to turn, we're going to be reading a lot of this section. And in fact, Micah read some of this this morning. Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father. David's father. Why didn't you get that one right? (laughs) (laughs) A shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse. In other words, in the lineage of David. This is very, very important. This is why when Jesus came into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry and people threw their clothes and palm branches into the streets, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David because they recognized that he was from the lineage of David. By the way... The genealogies in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke both are there to demonstrate that Jesus is actually the descendant of David. He's directly from the house of David, therefore he has the right to sit on the throne over Israel. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Keep your finger there. I'm just going to read for a moment corresponding passages. Out of Jeremiah 23, I'm just going to read verses 5 to 8. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. In his days, the righteous branch of David, when he comes to the planet, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Is anybody willing to say that at this moment in the geopolitics of planet Earth that Israel is dwelling safely? No. At the moment, there are nations planning to bomb them off the map. But does there have to be a time when there is a salvation of all 12 tribes of Israel? Well, yeah. And the basis on which we can say that is there was a baby in a manger. He did come. Therefore, we can conclude that Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. Amazingly, Jeremiah says he will be called Yahweh. That name that is reserved for God alone. He will be called Yahweh. He will be called God with us. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt. But instead they will say, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the Northland and from all the countries where he has driven them. And then they will live on their own soil. Okay, so the northern tribes, are they still scattered? Yes. Yeah. Do they have to come back to their land? Yes. Yeah. Are they going to dwell on their own soil? Yes. And Christ himself is going to rule over them, and he is going to be called God our righteousness. 
2 Samuel 7 is the Davidic promise that we keep making reference to. When God said to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body? And I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, now we're back at Isaiah. I hope you kept your finger there. Go back to Isaiah 9, and we're going to read what Micah read. And we're going to look at it within the context of, yes, there's going to be a child born. Yes, there's going to be a son given. But what are the prophecies surrounding that? Because if indeed in time in history there was a child born and a son given, then you can depend on God to make sure that he completes all the rest of the prophecies of this passage. Isaiah 9, starting at verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay, so historically, has God ever treated those northern tribes and their land area? Has he ever treated it with judgment, with contempt? The answer is yes. But look at the second half of that prophecy. He's going to make it glorious again. That hasn't happened yet. Does it have to happen? Well, yes, it has to happen, not only because it is the very word of God, but because of the particular event that he's going to base the prophecy on. The people who walk on the other side of the Jordan, the people who walk in darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff that is on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and every cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. I'm going to end your wars. And all the memories of your wars and all those blood-soaked garments, you're going to burn them all. All your weapons of warfare are going to be destroyed. I'm going to settle you back in your land, and I'm going to establish you with great glory. And what is the basis for that promise? For unto us a child will be born. For unto us a son will be given. When you read all the bad news about I was angry with them. I held them in contempt. And then you read the promise, I'm going to make them glorious. Well, then what changed? Something changed. God, in his relationship with his people, he was treating them with contempt and judgment. And yet he's going to treat them to this glorious future. What happened between those two events? Child was born. Son was given. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government 
will rest upon his shoulders. When Jesus was here on the planet, did he take up the reins of government? No. They tried to make him king. He refused it. He didn't want to be king. Not now. He's coming back to be king. He's coming back to establish his government. The first time he was here, he was here to make himself a sacrifice for sin in order to accomplish redemption between God and his people. And having accomplished that, he has then gone to heaven to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we may also be, so that we can behold his glory. And then he's coming back to get his church. And then he's coming back to establish his kingdom. And then he's coming back to do everything else that this prophecy says he's going to do, including the government is going to rest on his shoulders. And his name, again, is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. And amazingly, once again, Mighty God. He is God with us, and his name will be Yahweh, and he will be called the mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. I like that name, by the way, because this is a very hateful, warrior-like world. It's a dangerous world. It's a scary place to be. I can't wait for the prince of peace to come back and establish his peace And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. And then thematically, here we read it again. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. What was David's kingdom? The 12 tribes of Israel. So over David's kingdom, he is going to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness From then on and forevermore, the zeal, the heat, the determination of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So he's going to accomplish all of that for his people. And the sign he gave, the promise he made, the down payment to all those promises was baby in a manger. See, there's so much more to this Christmas thing than just what Linus told Lucy and the gang. There is this entire prophetic background. Let's talk about the New Testament for a moment because those are all Old Testament promises that this is actually going to occur. But in the New Testament, even within the story of his birth in the book of Luke, turn to the book of Luke. Turn to the very beginning of the book of Luke. It's not even difficult. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third of the Gospels in the New Testament. And there is a very extensive story that Luke gives us about the birth of Christ. But within the details of the birth of Christ, there are all these prophecies about who he is and about what he's going to accomplish. For instance, I'm going to start reading at verse 26 of Luke 1. You're probably all familiar with this story. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Why is it so important to identify her as a virgin? The sign is a virgin's going to conceive. That's why it's picked up in the New Testament 
and validated that it is a virgin who is going to conceive. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. In other words, greetings, one who God has bestowed grace on. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's the English version of the Greek cognate, Aesus. The Greek cognate, Aesus, is the Hebrew Joshua or Yeshua, reaching all the way back to the deliverer Joshua who led Israel into the promised land. There are no mistakes here. This is why God specifically said, here's the name you're going to call him, because he's going to be the deliverer of my people. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Well, yeah, all the prophets have said he's going to be called Yahweh, the Almighty Father, and the Lord God will give him, what a surprise, the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever And his kingdom will have no end. That promise, his kingdom will have no end, is just like all the Old Testament prophets, promising that there is going to be this kingdom to come, that Christ is going to rule over from Jerusalem. He's going to rule the collective 12 tribes of Israel, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David, even when the angel comes to Mary and says, he's going to be born, there's going to be a baby in a manger, Even in the midst of that prophecy, the throne of David is brought up again. How sure and certain is this whole throne of David thing? Not only is it prophesied repeatedly, but even the angel talking to Mary brings it up. He's going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over Jacob. I find that really, really interesting. The word Jacob means heel catcher. It means supplanter, liar, one who trips up other people. Now, Jacob, the actual progenitor of the 12 tribes of Israel, his name, Jacob, was changed when he wrestled with an angel of God, which people argue may have been a Christophany. And when he wrestled with him, that angel, that Christophany, changed his name and said, you've been Jacob, you're going to be Israel. You're going to be the one who has power with God. You're going to be the one who wrestled with God. Okay, so you've got these two names that become the history of the nation of Israel. And when God wants to remind them of who they are, he says, you're Jacob. You're a heel catcher. By the way, you know what the English cognate name is? From Jacob, from Yahab. That's right, it's James. That's right. <laughs> Heel catcher, supplanter. But when God wants to demonstrate the astounding 
depth and length and breadth of his mercy and grace. He reminds us of who we are. And he says, you're a heel catcher. You're a supplanter. You're a liar. You're a sinner. And I loved you with an everlasting love. Not that you deserve it, but because I'm so gracious. That's all right here in this promise of Christ to come. You're going to have a child, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there's going to be no end. Look down at verse 46. This is after Mary had visited with Elizabeth, her cousin. This is often called the Magnificat. It's a declaration from Mary. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For the Catholics who are listening to me at this moment, notice that Mary herself admitted that she needed a Savior. Just wanted to wipe out that whole immaculate conception thing. Just thought I'd mention it. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. And behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who were humble. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent away the rich empty-handed. And he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his own mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his descendants forever. So even as Mary is thinking about the fact that God is delivering a child through her, a child that is going to be called God with us, she exalts and praises God, and in the midst of that, narrows down the scope of the purpose of this one to come, this Savior to come, and says that he is the one who is going to bless Israel, his servant, the same God who spoke to Abraham and his descendants forever. All I'm trying to show you is that all these Old Testament prophecies about God returning to Israel are even inherent to the birth story of Jesus Christ. And if the baby in the manger happened, then all the other stuff is going to happen, including the redemption and restoration of Israel. Look down at verse 67. This is talking about John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Isn't that interesting? All he knows so far is that his son is born. The child that was promised is coming. The Messiah is coming And he looks forward to it and says, that's the redemption of Israel. 
Soon as that child is born, he is the guarantee, he is the down payment, he is the surety that God is going to redeem Israel. It's very interesting that later on Jesus says, when you see all these things coming to pass in Matthew 24, all these signs of the end, he says, when you see these things come to pass, look up, your redemption draws close. Why? Because when you see those things come to pass, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm coming back for the purpose of redeeming Israel and setting up my kingdom and establishing the throne of David over the collective 12 tribes. That's all inherent into the Christmas story. Okay, Linus doesn't talk about it, but it's all part of the story. You know when I say Linus, I'm talking about peanuts, right? You know, it's okay. Because you all just stared at me like I was talking gibberish or something. Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Which is why I began by reading the prophets of the Old Testament, predicting the birth of Christ and tying it to the redemption of Israel. Then as he's being born, Zacharias himself speaks because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and says that the mouth of all the holy prophets from old have all predicted this one to come and he is going to establish the throne of David because that's what all the prophets said to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore by Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, he's now speaking over John the Baptist, the newborn baby, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what Isaiah predicted. It's exactly what Micah read. That there is going to be a people sitting in darkness, sitting under the contempt of God, and a light is going to shine upon them and bring them out of that darkness. Why? Because there's a baby in a manger. Okay, Luke 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken on all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to be registered for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Astounding providence of God. They live in Nazareth. And there's nothing said in the prophets about the Christ child being born in Nazareth. He has to be born in Bethlehem. That's what Micah says. So God moves on Caesar Augustus to decree that there's going to be a census taken. A few years later, it's finally accomplished during the time that Quirinius is governor of Syria. And that census requires people to go back to the place of their family birth which makes Joseph and his very pregnant wife go to the very place where that baby has to be born. There's sovereignty. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, There has been born for you a Savior who is Messiah, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Now do you understand the significance of that phraseology right from an angel? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. I've been saying all morning, baby in a manger is a sign from God demonstrating that he's going to keep the whole rest of his word. And the angel even declares that. This baby will be a sign for you. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into the heavens that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, they hurried, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were being told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told to them. Verse 21. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what the law says, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was looking for something in particular. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus in to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day and fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. All of that is the Christmas story. And it is full of prophecy. It is chock full of prophecy and promises from God of establishing David's throne, establishing Israel, collecting the 12 tribes from all the places that he's driven them, and a promise that he, that child, that baby in a manger, is going to be a light to the Gentiles. And that is all guaranteed by the historic fact that he did come, and that's what we're observing Christmas morning. And as I said at the beginning, he was a baby in a manger once. But now, since we have been studying the book of Revelation for more than a year now, and since we interrupted the Revelation study to talk about the Christmas story, Revelation 1, 5 to 6 tells us who he is now. He's no longer just a baby in a manger. He is Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his own blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion 
forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Amen. If you believe that Jesus came to the planet and was a baby in a manger, then you believe he is coming again on clouds of glory and every eye is going to see him and the people of earth are going to mourn over him and even the people who pierced him, the Jews, Israel, those very people, just like Zechariah promised, that he's going to come and they're going to see him and he's going to give them the spirit of supplication and repentance and they're going to weep over him like a mother weeps over her only child. It was promised in the Old Testament. It's promised in the New Testament. It's promised in the baby in a manger. It's promised in the king of kings coming back to the planet. It's a very, very consistent prophecy of Jesus. Two more passages and you can go. Well, don't go. We're going to sing another song, but... Revelation 1.12, and then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished brass when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many, many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows except himself. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's the very same word, according to John, at the beginning of his gospel, the Word became flesh. He is called that Word of God. He is the very living, incarnate Word of God, which means every word that God has ever spoken finds its yes and its amen in him. He is the very embodiment of the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads out the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh... He has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, no longer just a baby in a manger. There's your Christmas message for 2022. I hope it expanded your thinking beyond just 
the cuteness of the story, the way the story is so often dumbed down, I hope you see that it is a marvelous, glorious story that stretches over the entire history of humankind. The Old Testament prophet said, somebody's coming. The gospel said, he's here. And then Revelation says, and he's coming back. And the guarantee that he's coming back is that he was a baby in a manger. I'm done. Jeff, Steve, musicians, whoever's doing whatever you're going to do next. I suspect that eternity God may show to us events that occurred through history.
Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.